give superpowers to Nick Madrigal. I think he's <laughs> he needs them all in stature. So I feel like if anyone needs the superpowers, it'd probably be Nick. One, two, swinging a drive toward right center. Back goes Robert. Back near the stands. That ball is gone. A game-winning home run for Chris Burrell. Can you believe it? Listen to this crowd. Welcome to the Brotherly Cubs podcast. I am John, and this is my brother, Zach. We are your brothers who love everything Cubs baseball. If you enjoy talking about the Cubs, then hit that subscribe button, turn on the notifications, and join us every week as we dive into the ins and outs of the best team in the National League, the Chicago Cubs. Today at breakfast, uh, Kayla told me, Daddy, why do you look like that? I was like, what? And she's like, why Why do you look like that? And I was just kind of like, you mean like this right here? My my face and everything? <laughs> You're like, yeah, you're, why are you bald? And I was just like, uh, <laughs> I don't know. It's, it's, I know it's not the most appealing thing, baby, but um, I'm working on it. So now I'm just, I'm hitting the gym, you know, thanks to my daughter. I'm in a Biggest Loser competition. And uh, again, <laughs> again, <laughs> it's already in you know another one but uh i'm in it again so i'm all self-conscious now about how i look and all that so i'm like man is have i had too much too much sugar today i don't know how do i look according to my four-year-old daughter so daddy why you know ryan gosling <laughs> yeah just, i was just like yo i'm sorry I, i'm trying my best okay like, why don't you look like the people on tv <laughs> yeah. that, that might be what she's thinking <laughs> We like to start off each podcast with a playful question for all of our 17 subscribers. Feel free to put your answer in the comments. Today, Zach, I ask you, if the Cubs players had superpowers, what powers do you think they would have and which player would make the best superhero? This is a tricky question because they're all superheroes in my heart. Uh, it might be the most, you know, flamboyant question, I flamboyant statement I can make. I think uh, Cody Bellinger could fly, or maybe PCA could fly. That dude's fast. He's an 80-grade. He's an 80-grade defense, but I think he's an 80-grade speed or something like that. But I, I think Cody Bellinger would fly because I don't know if you know about the Cubs celebration they did this year um, where they got on base and they would go like, what was it? I think they went like, they did that, and they also did something else like this, right? Oh, wow. Like Cody Bellinger kind of looks like he's flying. He right. was the one who came up with that celebration. Yeah. And the reason why is because his hand um, here, like he like he was saying, uh, this is the baseball. And I like to hit it right here. Like the team <laughs> at CubsCon, <laughs> they asked him, why Like why do you, uh, why are you hitting so well? Why are you on fire? And he just said, I like to just get the ball like right here when I hit it. And he has an uppercut swing. So Mike Talkman or somebody, they had interviewed somebody because uh, yeah. Cody Bellinger unfortunately is not with us yet. But uh... right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Talkman was interviewed at CubsCon. Yeah. And it's funny because he was the big topic at CubsCon. Everybody was speaking glowingly about him. And that's that was the celebration. Yeah, you had one celebration. Bellinger had another. They did one halfway through the season. And yeah, they all talked about Bellinger. He's like an inspiration to the team. Like, you know, he had terrible down seasons, came to the team and was on fire. And yeah, so I think he would be, uh, I think he would fly. I think if I thought about it enough, I would say 
give superpowers to Nick Madrigal. I think he's <laughs> he needs some all in stature. So I feel like if anyone needs the superpowers, it'd probably be Nick. Yeah. Um, and we would give him just, you know, a ton of muscle. Like, get that <laughs> ball out of the infield when you hit it, man. I think I think of an ant man thing for him, right? Like he's so yeah. short, he's like five seven. Uh <laughs> that's true. Yeah, give him some ant man powers and yeah. <laughs> He's closer to being Ant-Man than others, you know? If you shrunk him down like a couple feet, he would be really hard to see. So, I don't know, three foot, he'd be, I guess he'd be a dwarf or something, or I don't know the correct term to call him, but he would be very small. He may legally be that right now, I'm not sure. Right. Um, so, let's move on to the latest news and stats. Some meat, the meat and potatoes of our podcast here. Josh Hader just signed a five-year, $95 million contract with the Astros, making him the richest relief pitcher in history, marking a dominant bullpen in Houston. Zach, what are your thoughts on this? Yeah, so it's funny because Edwin Diaz signed a five-year, $102 million deal, and there was a thought that Hader wanted to beat the deal, and it turns out the Mets are one uh, they're the Mets are known to do deferrals going back to Bobby Bonilla. That's just been a running joke with them for Bonilla was Mets, right? Or am I losing my mind? Okay. <laughs> so I don't, I don't really know what deferrals Edwin Diaz has, but you remember uh, the Otani deal had massive deferrals as well, which gives it a lower value. If you defer the money out further because of inflation, all that kind of stuff, time value of money. So I guess technically even though Hader got seven million less, he got less deferred money. So his present value was just slightly better than Diaz, which is super annoying that um, that that did it. Because I was thinking if he wanted to be richer, he'd get 110, 120, 130. But the Cubs were never going to be in that market, unfortunately, unless it was maybe a two or three year deal. That could have been something, but unfortunately, we're still empty handed, and the Astros are now stupid rich in back end arms. Presley, Abreu, Hader. That's disgusting. That's yeah. it's. I'm sick. Like it's nauseous. That's how gross that is. I was just happy you didn't go to the Dodgers. I mean, like right. That's yeah. Anybody but the Dodgers. You know, like in the NFL playoffs, it's anybody but the Packers right now. So I'm glad you know that. Yeah. The Packers are eliminated, but that's. Well, I'm a Bills thing. fan, so. Uh... <laughs> yeah, that's right. You're a Bills fan now. That's right. <laughs> or, or we are. Um, so. When I first saw that, my initial instinct was probably similar to how you were reacting. This is just stupid. I mean, the money is insane, but then you're like, well, who's closing then, right? Because you have Ryan Presley, Josh Hader. Um, I would assume, obviously, Hector Neris is not going to come back um, unless they somehow sign him to a contract as well. But otherwise, yeah. looking at a pretty dominant back end of the bullpen. Uh, for the next five years, at least. My instinct was that once this deal was signed, a few more signings would happen. And it's it's actually still been slow. We can expect things to maybe slowly trickle in. And Steven signed for three for 30 with the, with the Angels. So I'm hoping that, like you said, Neris, there might be a few others that sign this week. And hopefully the Cubs get one of them. I mean, a lefty, Matt Moore. Those are my thoughts. As hater science, like, okay, what are the lefties left? It's Roldis Chapman and Matt Moore. Right. I was listening to uh, Locked On Cubs not that long ago, and they were mentioning that name as well before the All Star break. I know you were really big on Moore as well, and you know Matt Moore. The, there'd be 
a pretty decent pickup. The Cubs could swing that. Yeah, they need to make a couple. Last year, they signed Brad Boxberger, formerly of the Milwaukee Brewers, who is solid. Could get lefties out with that circle changeup that fades away from the left-handed batter. And they also had signed Michael Fulmer, formerly of the Tigers, had a closer relief type role, bullet slider, you know, like 90-92, they gave him a sweeper. He had trouble controlling it a bit. He had shades of being good. And then Brad Boxberger was not good and also was injured for like a majority of the year. So the Cubs just struck out all their signings last year, the bullpen, and really the minor league relievers were not good. So they need to make a couple more signings to stabilize the back end. Right. They did not want to go over the cap at the all-star break. So that's one of the reasons why they didn't add more bullpen help, even though they obviously needed more bullpen help. But our topic of conversation is going to swing towards the minor league rankings. The MLB pipeline released the Cubs top 15 prospects. We're going to talk about the top 10 today. And I found it interesting. I just checked this out a few minutes ago, but Matt Shaw had actually moved down from five to seven. Wow. So check right now. Yeah, it was kind of for the just for the convenience of our conversation. I'm going to talk about the top five and then I'm going to pitch it to Zach for the bottom five or six through ten. But actually, technically, Zach, you would be responsible for talking about Matt Shaw. If we had actually released this podcast maybe a day later. So, yeah, I mean, it's he's all yours if you want. Yeah, <laughs> it's phenomenal. So. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I'll just start off at the top here. So we have Pete Crow Armstrong. If you're kind of confused about what he looks like, for me, I listed him as a celeb lookalike, as like a Russian villain. <laughs> uh, he definitely needs to, I have a couple, couple different things here, three different things that I think he needs to focus on. One is improve his plate discipline. He had six strikeouts and 14 at-bats. So there's obviously a little bit of concern there. It's a very, very small sample size. And I think with a little bit of seasoning at AAA, he'll be just fine. Some comps for him. So some comparisons at the major league level is Kevin Kiermaier. That's one that I've heard. I think he would be a slightly better defensive Kevin Kiermaier, even though he's all already Kevin Kiermaier is pretty solid defensively. The only thing is that Kevin Kiermaier can hit a little bit more, obviously, than PCA. Um, he needs to improve his base running. So PCA was very aggressive um, as far as using his speed. He was caught two out of four times uh, for stealing attempts. So he definitely needs to improve his base running, and I think that'll come when he starts to look at the pitcher's movements to the plate, look at their mannerisms, and slowly catch on to that when to break towards second base or third base. So I feel like he'll definitely get a feel for that as he gets more and more experience and sees more and more pitchers. Keep and the thing, the third thing that I have here is keep defense at an elite level. His defense is perfectly great or perfectly fine. Um, no complaints. My only concern is maybe if he gets too overly aggressive, and that could maybe come into play at the major league level if he feels like he's used to making those types of all-star caliber plays. But otherwise, I'm very excited for PCA. I think he'll maybe make it to about July 
hopefully no later than July, and we'll see him at the major league level as long as he's ready. At number two, we have Cade Horton. So for me, his celeb lookalike is Breckenmeyer slash Sonny Gray. Breckenmeyer was in Clueless, for those of you guys who don't know. He has an elite strikeout-to-walk ratio. He has 117 to uh, 27 walks uh, last year, which is good for 4.3 strikeouts per walk. He has a plus fastball, plus slider. His curveball needs a little bit of work. His changeup needs a little bit of work. So if he just keeps working on those two pitches, I think once he commands his fastball at an elite level and he's ready to move on to AAA, then I think he'll be just fine. My hope for him is to graduate fast, maybe 88 to 90 innings pitched at the minor league level and then graduate to the majors. I'm really excited about Cade Horton. Um, for me, I actually rank him ahead of PCA. As far as hype, I think he's got tremendous value, maybe in a little bit more value than PCA. But right now, he's at number two at uh, MLB Pipeline. Michael Bush is number three. His celeb lookalike, if you're not sure what he looks like, he kind of looks like Simon Pegg. Uh, he's a strong lefty bat projected by many to play first. He's played all around the diamond. Um, he's played third base, second base. He can spot start in left field if he needs to. He doesn't have a great arm, and he's not extremely fast. Um, but he does have tons of power and a lot of potential to um, be an every, like an everyday um, MLB player at first base. Forbes scouting report had him uh, with great hand-eye coordination, good balance, projected to hit about 20 to 23 home runs, which I think we discussed previously. So I'm thinking maybe a Nick Castellanos type of player, hopefully. Um, he's more likely to be a supportive player to get on base than to slug. So he's going to be the player that, that adds on to someone that's going to slug, maybe like a Hoskins, if we sign Hoskins. You can maybe slot him ahead of your big sluggers. Um, then number four is Owen Casey. Aaron Layton from JustBaseball.com uh, noted that he had an average velocity, average exit velocity of 94 miles per hour, which would rank in the top 15 in Major League Baseball. His max exit velocity that he hit was 117 miles per hour. <laughs> I was going to say like 110 or, okay. Yeah, 117, yeah. I mean, I thought that was only, you know, things you see on the video game. <laughs> like, oh, my God. Yeah, he's got tremendous power. Big slugger, lefty bat, a big arm. He's got a great arm. I was watching a clip where he threw out Edwin Rios um, on the, oh, I think it was the spring training game. It was like Canada versus the Cubs or something. Wow. And he threw him out from right field. Like Edwin Rios is not. Wait a minute. Last year, Canada played the Cubs and O'Casey oh, was on Canada. Canada. Canada played the Cubs. I wasn't sure if it was oh. which thing I was watching. Spring training or something like that. But Canada had played the Cubs and Owen Casey threw out Edwin Rios. I'm like, wait, am I watching this correctly? Are we saying that's, the right? That's so cool. <laughs> yeah. It was a, I'll have to see if I can find a clip, that clip for you. But um, yeah, when I was watching, I was like, wow, okay, this guy is a cannon. Yeah, potential to possibly be a DH, depending on what the outfield looks like. Um, there's a lot of 
potential in our outfielders. As you know, we've talked about this at in depth about possibly trading from our outfield depth to acquire other pieces. So it just depends. I mean, he would be a tremendous DH, but you could also slot him in at left. If maybe you end up moving on from Ian Happ, or if you trade one of your other outfielders and he could fill in. So it just depends, but hopefully he'll be able to come up 2025. I wouldn't think obviously this year, unless he for some reason exploded onto the scene and just, man between double a and triple a and just was absolutely tearing the cover off the ball but it looks like more like 2025 for him and then coming at at number five is matt shaw i'm a huge matt shaw fan and every time it seems like i get on youtube and just google matt shaw highlight reels it's just insane one of the recent videos that i was watching he hit a ball 507 feet uh, once it was a grand slam versus Iowa, they were down, uh, three and he hit a grand slam, which didn't even look like, I guess it was 507 feet, but he hit it to dead center and the outfielder did not move. He just sat there watching it for like 10 seconds. And it was just, insane. <laughs> he has tremendous power. He hit 347 with 32 home runs, 97 RBIs in the last 421 at bats according to Cubby's crib. Um, the question is, does he take over the third base job possibly this year, late this year? I mean, that seems like a pretty aggressive promotion, but yeah, <laughs> Jim Callis of MLB.com projects him to be the fastest riser. So if anybody could do it, it would most likely be a Matt Shaw. He's versatile. He can play third base. He can play shortstop so he can spell uh, Dansby Swanson if he needs to. We know that Dansby Swanson needs a break every now and then, but not according to does. Nico. Yeah. I but it seemed like it seemed like Dansby really needed a break last year. And he just kind of I don't know if he played through it or or if David Ross just kind of well. Said, you're good. Scratch, so, <laughs> so that's, I'm really curious. I'm very curious. I think I'm besides him and Cade Horton, I'm really curious to see how quickly they can get to the majors and how much are they going to impact our baseball team? Um, he's taking over. I want to say it's 97% of the reps that he's had this offseason at third base mm -hmm. or maybe even higher than that. So he's definitely getting his reps into play third base and take over my question to you zach is do we need a stop gap right now at third base or do you think that he could arrive at the scene at at, uh, at the major league level this year like do you feel like we need to sign someone to a one maybe two-year deal or do you think we need to maybe just see what we have maybe stick morell at third base and then just roll with Matt Shaw either late this year or next year? Yeah, this is a really good question. It is the penultimate question of the Cubs offseason right now. Is it uh, – the way I would address it is from, from the latest media reports in the last few weeks, couple weeks, are that if the Cubs somehow don't sign Cody Bellinger, re-sign him to a multi-year deal, let's say they just – the money's too much, he's gone, right? They're going to want to fill in the gap with a little bit of offense – 
And maybe that's Matt Shaw, but I just don't see Shaw going for more than a few years, especially with Jed Hoyer's careful planning for deals in the long-term future. So in terms of a stopgap, I still feel like it's internal. There's no other players in the market. I mean, it could have been Candelario. That that could have been the stopgap. I would have been fine with that. Give Matt Shaw soft landing. I, I think it'll be some combo of Burrell, Wisdom, and Madrigal, as I hate to say, three names at third. That's unfortunately might be the direction they go. And Morel, if he can learn to play third, even league average, he's going to be a top, you know, 10, uh, 15 third baseman because of his ceiling. Wisdom is going to platoon a little bit. And then Madrigal seems to be the best third base defender right now. I actually wouldn't even be surprised if some at some point in the season they juggle things around and Nico plays a little bit third and Morel plays second. Maybe in spring, maybe once a month they do something like that. It sounds like Morel's going to be very versatile and he won't be the full-time third. So I think they're going to have a carousel of options at third there. And hopefully right. Shaw has definitely a good chance to come up this year. But we got to see what he looks like with more than a few hundred at-bats, maybe a couple hundred get him to AAA and then have him face a little bit more advanced pitching and see if the numbers hold up. Right. Yeah, I know Morel was getting work at first base, right? Right. Yeah, he, the... did get, he did get work at first, and he got a, a little bit more work at third in the Dominican Winter Leagues this, this offseason as well. That's all I have for the top five. So I'm going to pitch it to you, Zach, for six through ten. My, my six through ten on the Cubs – MLB pipeline prospect list the top 10. Don't have any celeb lookalikes. Number six is Kevin Alcantara. He's played at the highest level was double A, but mostly he spent the year at high A South Bend, otherwise known as advanced A ball or known as just A ball. They just say low A sometimes. He had a full season there, 400 plate appearances. He had 12 homers, 66 ribbies, 15 stolen bases. And he struck out 23% of the time. So we like to look at those strikeout of walk numbers and be like, all right, are you over 30? Are you over 20? Casey was over 30 last year, I think in the high 20s at one point. So a contra being under 25% strikeout is a major like on our end for sure. And then a seven a 7.6% walk rate. So he's walking at a little bit below average clip, but the strikeout rate's not out of control. His average, 286, which is, again, solid, 341 on base. And he had a total OPS on base plus slugging, for those who don't know, of 807 at that level. So 466 slug, which just means he's hitting a lot of doubles. He had those home runs. And he's got a lot of potential. He had a 24% better than average batting wrc plus is another metric we like to use that's highly correlated with ops just means he's in the cover off the ball he's in very well and he's got speed and he's i think he's six six this dude's tall he's one of the tallest outfielders in the in the minors right now in terms of how he's projecting he's still gonna project out to hit between 15 and 20 home runs maybe more i think he's a tradable candidate just because the cubs have so many Outfield prospects right now, they're, they're John, you've mentioned the number one and the number four Cubs prospects here in their top five. Those are both outfielders. One plays center, one plays right. Who knows where Seiya Suzuki is going to go 
or Ian Happ's going to go? That's the major question, right? So Kevin Alcantara on MLB Pipeline, they have the ETA. They think he'll come up in 2024. I think he's going to sit this year at double A, get some time. And then I think he's going to go to triple A and end the season there. And then 2025, I believe he'll have a good chance to come up and make a difference, but they're going to have to open up some time from, from the outfield core. Unfortunately, he's not an easy fit. So I think there's still a chance they trade him in a bigger deal. Number seven, I have Ben Brown on here, and I think he has a good chance of being up to the big leagues as early as maybe May or June, depending on how the bullpen shakes out. I think he has a good chance of landing in the bullpen, getting a soft landing as Steele, Alzali, Keegan Thompson did at various points throughout the last few years. He also has a ceiling of kind of a mid-level starter and eventually could replace... Hendricks or Tyone in the back of the rotation. If he has a good year, they may want to limit his innings. He'll get some time in the sixth, seventh inning, maybe a cup multi-inning type appearance. And then I think at some point he, he has a good chance of graduating and again, being, you know, hitting 95, 97. He has good strikeout stuff. The only issue right now with Ben Brown is that he needs to control the ball a little bit better. So he he has he's basically shown plus stuff at every level, even going all the way back to 2018 with the Phillies. So he had rookie ball, the Cubs got him in a trade, and then as early as as soon as he got traded, he bumped up from high A to double A. And he then went on to have 12.7 and 13.8 Ks per nine who's striking out on average one and a half batters per inning. This is like half the batters he's facing, he's striking out. That's insane. What are he's, your concerns about his, is there any injury concerns or? In, at this point, not yet. Only because he did have a major injury, I believe, in either 2019 or 2021. Hmm. I know he came back for the Phillies and he did a little bit better once he got back on the field and then with the cubs last year he had a, i believe he had a triceps injury but i'm not 100 percent sure what his injury was anything along the elbow he gets scared of i'm not super concerned yet it's been a while since his last major injury and he didn't have any major injuries with the cubs last year however he did struggle he had a 5.3 era triple a and he did start quite a few games but he was also in the bullpen so 15 games started seven games in the bullpen after he got injured and tried to come back in the bullpen, he struggled a little bit. So I, I'm curious if he'd be better with a more consistent role. He did strike out a ton of guys. His walk rate ballooned at AAA. So right now that's his next step is probably to go straight to AAA and see if he can stabilize the walk numbers. He's at 6.32 walks per nine, which is a ton. He's walking a ton of guys at that level, 72 innings. That's a good sample. So... We do like his strikeout numbers, obviously. His ground ball rate needs to get up from where it was at AAA. But they're going to give him a couple months, let him cook 60, 50, 60 innings. And then once he hits that mark, they'll probably keep him under 130 for the year. So I don't foresee him starting unless there's, of course, an injury, right? The Cubs mm -hmm. have a lot of depth, so we'll see if he even gets a chance to start very much, maybe in a spot role. But I'm hoping he can keep that up at that higher level for sure. The number eight on our list is Moises Ballesteros, 
This guy is a hit tool machine, which is a weird thing to say about someone other than he doesn't strike out a lot. And essentially back to back of our players here in this range between eight and nine, these are both hit tool guys, Ballesteros and Jordan Triantos or uh, James Triantos. Sorry, I'm switching tabs. <laughs> I was getting ahead of myself with Jordan Wicks, but my Moises Ballesteros is in an interesting position right now because he is a catcher that isn't projecting as well as a catcher in terms of how he plays defense. He made it up to double A last year at high South Bend last year, a majority of his time. He actually floated between low A and high A, but his at the highest level where he had a decent sample, 9% walk rate, which is really good, and only 19% strikeout. At the low A level, he had only a 12% strikeout. Those are insanely good. And he's posting over 400 slugging at both levels. So, he, you know, he had 14 homers on the year. So this guy has got a good hit tool. I'm just a little nervous about where he projects defensively and where the Cubs could see him. And so anywhere in the 6 to 10 range, I have these guys all as tradable. Number nine is James Triantos. He was known for having a really good Arizona Fall League season here in this offseason. He's not have, showing a ton of power so far, but he's more along the hit tool line, getting contact. At high A, he had a 10% strikeout. Low A, 16%. Maybe he'd like to walk a little bit more to get his on-base up or his OPS up. He needs to slug over 400. He needs to hit closer to like 10 home runs. At low A, he hit seven. So he, I think he just he needs to embrace his utility role and... He needs to hit just a little bit more, maybe a little bit more gaps, a little bit more power in order to fit in a utility role. That is sort of his ceiling. And again, I could also see him being tradable only because there's already middle infielders that are good. Maybe his ceiling is, is sort of like a bench player, like a Madrigal, but slightly better. And the last player we have on our list is someone who's going to graduate very quickly. I'm not even sure how he's still on this list. Jordan Wicks, who moved up to, to the majors this year. He went from double A to triple A to the majors, and he logged 58 innings, 30 innings, and then another 30 innings, 34 innings at the big league level. His numbers actually, you know, got a little bit worse in terms of strikeouts per nine from 10 to eight to six. He needs to strike out more batters. A triple A, eight strikeouts per nine is fine. Three walks per nine, those are all solid rates. He had a 3.80 ERA in the AAA level, and then when he got to the bigs, 4.41. This guy's going to pencil in as your fifth starter this year. He's got a great repertoire, a changeup, a couple good breaking ball offerings, and a fastball between 92 and 94. He's got a ceiling of like a mid-level starter because he's got great command and control, sort of like a left-handed, faster Kyle Hendricks because of a changeup. He's got the pitchability factor. He needs to just get the strikeouts back in line and park the array under four. And I think his goal this year should be between 130 and 150 innings. If he can do that, bring bulk innings to the back end of the rotation, I think he's got a good chance of, obviously he's going to graduate, but also being extremely valuable to this team. I'm really excited to see what he can do. And he was drafted in 2021. So it's really awesome that in two years, he already made it to the bigs and, and put up pretty solid numbers. As All right, for thanks Oh, sorry. <laughs> As for the rest of the list that, that we uh, we went through, we kind of brainstormed to look at the top 15. MOV Pipeline does the top 30. 
I foresee Jefferson Rojas, Michael Arias, potentially Mervis or Canario, Alexander Canario, if they stay on the team, and Drew Gray as moving up into the top 10 very soon, especially once PCA, Horton, Bush, and Ben Brown all are expected to graduate this year. So a ton of good prospects, and they're all major league ready, which is freaking awesome. Yeah. Out of those 15, choose three that you feel like you're really excited about. Like you're you're really you can't wait to see them at the major league level. Which three do you think out of all 15? PCA, Horton, and Shaw. They all have the highest ceiling. PCA's got the speed and the defense. Horton's got breaking ball offerings and a high good fastball, good spin rates. He's nasty. And Shaw's got a wicked uh swing, and he I think he's gonna end up being a tremendous athlete and play third. So I'm excited about that. Um, but that is all the time we have for today. Thanks for joining us on the Brotherly Cubs podcast. If you have any thoughts on today's podcast, comment them below. Or if you have another topic like us to talk about, let us know. Make sure to hit the subscribe button, turn on the notifications, or join the conversation with us on Twitter at Brotherly Cubs or on Spotify at Brotherly Cubs. I'm Zach, and this is my brother John, and we will see you next time. Peace. Peace. Listen to this crowd!